Well, it's a joy to be here at Heritage Baptist Church. I look forward to these times each year, and I'm grateful for your pastor and his friendship and uh, what God is doing here at Heritage Baptist Church. It's a joy uh, to see the Lord working here in this part of our state, and uh, we need revival, don't we? Uh, we need the Lord as never before in these days, and I'm so thankful there's a light here, there's a church here uh, that's getting the gospel out. And you be faithful now in these days ahead especially as you look forward to your musical in a couple of weeks. Get folks here to hear the message, the real message of Christmas. So much attention on everything else, but I trust that you'll do your best to get people under the true message of Christmas and the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he'll bless you for that. Well, let's stand. Let's read Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. We'll read a few verses starting in verse number six, Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read verse 6 down to verse 9, Isaiah chapter 40. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. You can be seated. Behold your God. Back in 1962, as a 10-year-old boy, I was riding in the backseat of our automobile. My dad was driving, my mom was in the front, my sister and I in the back. And I remember we were driving down Main Street in Watertown, Wisconsin, and we were stopped at a stop-and-go light, and the car directly in front of ours had a bumper sticker on the back of their bumper. It was an ugly green bumper sticker with black letters. It had three words. I'll never forget them. Three simple words. God is dead. God is dead. Throughout my teen years, I saw that bumper sticker multiple, hundreds of times. It seemed like everywhere you went in the 1960s, you heard, you saw the influence of a German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, the chief counselor to Adolf Hitler, who declared God had died and all morals, all ethics had died with him. God is dead. In the minds of many people today, that statement could be true. Atheism in America is on the rise. Church attendance in every denomination is in decline. The name God, the name Jesus Christ are considered only as curse words today. Politically, it is incorrect to speak of God or Jesus Christ. He is barred from our schools, 
barred from our halls of government, barred from our daily conversation. No doubt we could all spend some time this morning lamenting the fact that in our nation today, God is dead. But how alive is he in your life? Did you talk to him this week? Did you read his word? Did you let him speak to you? Did you sense his presence? Did you talk to anybody about him? Who is God to you? If I were to give you a a writing instrument and a piece of paper this morning, and I were to ask you to write down a definition of God, what would you write? How would you define God? Who is God to you? Use a couple of sentences if you need to. How would you define God? Now, when you get that done, ask yourself this question. Does God believe in my God? Because if you and I were to go on the streets of San Leandro or Oakland or Fremont or any of these cities around us today, and we were to go up and down the streets of the holiday shoppers and we were to say, who is God? We'd get a variety of answers. But does God believe in our God? I think the reason we have lost our definition of God today is because we've gotten away from the word of God. Jesus said, you do err, not knowing the scriptures. Isaiah said to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. In other words, if we don't have answers to spiritual questions from the Bible, we don't have the right answer. The wise men are dismayed. They are dismayed and taken. They've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Today we have a world that professes themselves to be wise, but they've become fools. So I want you to look at Isaiah 40. Let's look at God's word today. Let's look at thus saith the Lord. And let's discover three critical components to the Bible's definition of God. First of all, we find that God is above all. He's above all. Now get ready, look at verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. And behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing." They are counted him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? 
The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he is strong in power, not one faileth. God is above all. You know, the more we think about ourselves, the less we'll know about God. The more we put our attention on self, the more we put our attention on what we're doing, the less we're going to know about God. When we focus on the bigness of God, we become pretty small. God created this universe. He spoke it by his word into existence. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. In six days, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Job said, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Job said, ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind in Hannah's prayer. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, she said, There's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. God is above all. We think of this solar system this morning. Our solar system is six billion miles across. The galaxy that you and I live in is called the Milky Way. No one knows where it got that name. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. 
But the Milky Way, they tell us, is shaped like a giant bowl or a giant dish. Science tells us that if we could step back in this universe and we could look at our galaxy from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl. If you could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way, and if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, that's moving. If you could travel at the speed of light, 186 miles, 186,282 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross this galaxy called the Milky Way. And science estimates there are 100 billion galaxies like ours, 40 sextillion solar systems. Our earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around the planet. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth. The nearest star to us is 26 trillion miles away. The supernova uh, has 10 septillion. That's a 10 with 24 zeros after it. We're getting into the big numbers now. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why David walked out one night and he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Did you see what he said about the nations in verse 15? He said, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. They're, small, they're counted as the small dust of the balance. In Bible days, they would weigh things at the store in these balance scales. They would put a weight on one end of it, on one side of it, and they'd put the product in the other side. And when it would reach balance, they knew you had a pound of flour or whatever. That's why God said divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord. Some would put a false weight over here and charge you for something you didn't get. And so God wanted things to be fair. He wanted them to be just. And in order for a merchant to prove to you that he was being honest, it was customary in those days that the merchant, before he would place the product over here on this side of the scale, he would take a cloth and he would wipe the dust off of the balance. Now, dust doesn't weigh anything. But he would show you in that, in, that, in that sign by taking the dust off there that he was giving you a true measurement. God said the nations of the world today are like the dust on the balance scale. Verse 17, he says all nations before him are as nothing. They're counting him less than nothing. God says you take that same scale. Put me over here on this side. And then you put all the nations of the world over here on this side. All the superpowers, the United States and China and Russia, put them over here and you put the medium-sized nations over here and you put the small little nations over here, all their resources, all of their military muscle, all of their political power, all of their academia, put it all over here on this side and next to me, they are below zero. Less than nothing. So where does that put me? Well, verse 22 says, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. 
Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. Jeremiah said in chapter 10 and verse 10, the Lord is the true God. He's the living God. He's an everlasting king. He is above all. But notice, secondly, God is aware of all. Now, it would be natural for us to think that a God this powerful, this magnificent, this awesome, he doesn't care about me. I mean, come on. A God that made this universe, a God that says all these nations and all of their power next to me are below zero. I mean, a God like that, he doesn't care if I'm hurting today. He doesn't care about my prayer request. He doesn't doesn't care about my failing health. He doesn't care about my financial problems. He doesn't care about my relationships that have gone south. God doesn't care about me. But we're wrong. We're wrong. Look at verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. Friend, God cares. God loves you. He knows your needs. He knows what you're going through. When you think about creation, it's fun to think about the big stuff. All these, all these powerful things in this universe, it's, it, it's fun to think about that, but you also have to think about the details of creation. The atom is what makes up matter. Now, I'm told that an atom is so small you can't even see it under a microscope. In fact, I'm told that atoms, if you took 100,000 atoms and you lined them up in a single file line, the distance of 100,000 atoms would cross the width of a human hair. And yet inside each one of those atoms is at least a proton, a neutron, and an electron. And guess who put them there? Our earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see a globe, it's always tilted because our earth in space is tilted on its axes. If you go to a library or you go to a school classroom, you see a globe there on the teacher's desk or maybe on a, on a shelf and it's, it's on a stand and it's, it's tilted there at that, at that exact angle. Scientists tell us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space and it never wavers. Because if our earth was tilted just one degree, one direction, we would all freeze to death. If it was tilted just one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit this planet. 
Now, that, that globe at the school or at the library, it's on a stand. There's something holding it there at that angle. You can go up to it and give it a spin and watch it go around, and, and, and it stays at that angle because it's being held there by a stand. But Job 26 14 says, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. <laughs> so our earth this morning is at this exact degree of angle and never fluctuates, yet it's hanging on nothing. And remember, while you're contemplating that it's, it's at this exact degree of angle, hanging on nothing, it's also spinning. Once every 24 hours exactly once every 24 hours. And while you contemplate the fact that it's tilted at an exact degree of angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Details. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them does not fall to the ground without your heavenly father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. There's never been a bird that's died in this world that God hasn't attended the funeral. And you don't think he knows your prayer request? You don't think he knows where you're hurting physically this morning? You don't think he knows where you're hurting emotionally today? God is aware of all. Your body has 203 bones. You have 600 muscles. Some of them you will discover as you put up your Christmas decorations. <laughs> you have 970 miles of blood vessels running through your body. That's from here to Denver, Colorado. Blood vessels going through your body, taking nutrients, taking oxygen, taking water to the various tissues of your body so that you can live. We have 10 million nerves in our body. That's why some of you have to drink coffee in the morning to calm you down. <laughs> we have over 4,000 taste buds on our tongues so that our food, we can discern between bitter and sweet and sour. We have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on our body. To me, that's a great thought. Some of you that are, are, are dating, that, that's a good fact to have in your mind because on your first date, it, it, there's always that, that silence and it's awkward. You know, you, you plan to say certain things and then you run out of stuff and you're just sitting there. It's awkward. And so keep that fact in your mind because at that moment, you can look over at this one that you think you like and you can say, those are the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> We have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin. You know why? So that our skin is air conditioned. So that we can inhabit this earth in different temperatures and different conditions at all times. We breathe in. We have 600 million air cells that take air into our lungs. We breathe in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day. And you know what? You don't have to even think about it. I mean, you don't get up in the morning and say, oh, I got to breathe, I got to breathe, I got to breathe, I got to breathe. No, you just, you don't even think about it until something goes wrong. Why? Because God is a God of detail. 
And he knows what's going on in your life this morning. He knows your thoughts. He knows your needs. He knows your wants. He knows those desires. He knows those emotions. And God says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Oh, I'll lift up my eyes under the hills. Whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is aware of all. But then notice finally this morning, and I love these last three verses of chapter 40, God is able to do all. Look, look at verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God is above all. God is aware of all, but God is able to do all. I love Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Nothing too hard for God. What have you given up on? There's nothing too hard for God. You say, but the doctor said, there's nothing too hard for God. But my bank account, there's nothing too hard for God. But, but, but this relationship, there's nothing too hard for God. But that person is so wicked, there's nothing too hard for God. But our nation is so far gone, there's nothing too hard for God. Is anything... Too hard for the Lord. God asked Abraham at age 99 when he doubted he could have a son. God visited Sarah as he had said and God did unto Sarah as he had spoken and Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Why? Because with men it was impossible but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Amen. You're not too hard to save. I meet people say, oh, I could never get saved. I, I just, I just, I, I'm too far gone. I, 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 I've been too great a sinner. God couldn't save me. Listen, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Do you know if you're not saved this morning, God right now is praying that you'll get saved? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, if you realize you're not saved, you're the perfect candidate to get saved. God loves you. God wants you in heaven. He didn't create hell for you. He created hell for the devil and his angels. Isaiah 5 says that hell enlarges itself every day to accommodate the crowd. Why? Because God didn't make hell big enough for you. He's in heaven preparing a place for you. If you go to hell, God will have to expand. You know, where the, you know where the building programs are in this universe? They're in hell. Because people keep rejecting Christ, and God has to add on to hell to accommodate them. He didn't make hell for people. He made hell for the devil and his angels. But when you reject Christ, folks, he has no choice but to put you in that place called hell. 
That's not his desire. That's not what he wants to do. He wants you in heaven. He's preparing that place for you. And if you miss heaven, there'll be an empty place there where you should have been. Listen, he can save you. He wants to save you. He died to save you. He rose again to save you. He lives today making intercession for you because he wants to save you. Christian, there's no sin that you can't conquer. So I just have this bad habit. I just, I just, I I try, I, I, I try to get victory. Listen, the Bible says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We have no excuse to go out of this room this morning and say, well, I just, I can't get victory over my problem. I can't get victory over my sin. Maybe other people can, but not me. Listen, you're making God a liar. You say, well, but I've done so many bad things. I, I've disappointed God. I, 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 I've sinned and, and I'm not right with God. Listen, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no reason to walk out of here today without revival in our hearts. There's no reason to walk out of here out of tune with God. There's no reason for us to to be out out of sorts with God. God wants to forgive. In fact, Micah 7, 18 says he delights in mercy. He delights in forgiveness. There's nothing that God's asking us to do that we can't do with his help. We think, oh, it, it, it's too hard. I, I, it's too hard to pray. It's too, it's too hard to tithe. It's too hard to invite people to come to a service. I just can't do it. Listen, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I'm him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when are we going to start believing in this God? Are you happy with your definition of God? This God that in your mind can't save you, can't give you eternal life? This God as a Christian that can't give you victory over some sin in your life? This God that uh, can't allow you to be faithful? This God that doesn't enable you to do what he's commanded you to do? Are you happy with your definition of God? Oh, how we need to go to his word and see that God is above all. He's aware of all. He's able to do all. We need to trust him. We need to obey him. We need to live for him because someday we'll meet him. We'll meet him. And God admonishes us, prepare to meet thy God. A simple definition of life is this. Life is our opportunity to prepare to meet God. That's all life is. That's all life is. It's our opportunity to prepare to meet God. Now, if you and I knew that we only had five more minutes of life, what would we do to prepare to meet him? And may I remind us, we don't know that we have five more minutes.
David said, there's but a step between me and death. At any moment, we could meet this God of Isaiah chapter 40. But the great news is, you can be prepared for that moment. If you're not saved, you can be saved today. If you're not right with God, you can be right with God today. We can be prepared to meet this God. 